Beekman Golf Course is one of New York State's most spectacular full-service public golf facilities. Located in Dutchess County and only an hour north of New York City, the 27 holes wind their way along the Taconic, through the valley, and over the highlands with spectacular views that have made the course famous for over 50 years. With three nine-hole courses to start on, players enjoy fast play and easy access to tee times, even on weekends. Book your next round at BeekmanGolf.com. Let's play today. That's BeekmanGolf.com. At Sisu, we take a very scientific approach to making sure our technologically advanced, doctor-developed, scientifically-backed, industry-changing mouthguards are the most protective, lightest, talkable, breathable, comfortable, drinkable, removable mouthguards on the planet to guarantee you're protected. <clears throat> no matter what comes your way, the Sisu Next Gen. Sisu. Talk. Breathe. Drink. This call is being recorded. Beekman Golf hey, Course Tay. is one of New York State. We are live. Huge, huge weekend in Division One men's lacrosse. Um, I, we're going to start this show. This week with a little game, and I know you love games. Yes. I know you love games. So here's the scenario. I'm going to give you a bunch of schools, and we're going to play 15 years from now. And you're going to give me the head coach of these schools 15, 20 years from now. So, there, so no matter what school I give you, their head coach is no longer in place. And the reason why we're doing this, by the way, is we have no job dirt for you. And I think in large part is that there was a lot of job dirt before the tournament because, you know, ADs like to reach out to the guys who aren't in the tournament. And now that the tournament's going on, it kind of slows down because they just want to tease them. They reach out and tease them. Yeah, they tease everyone. (laughs) (laughs) They're like, am I going to get the job? Am I going to get the job? Am I going to get the job? And then, no, you're not. Have your friend call. Have your friend call. Have your friend call. Yeah, How's do, you know it look? Alum? Do, do you know their alum? Do you know their alums? Right. Like, I, I think I, know I got them. an alum who runs with a big alum who gives a lot of money and he has the inside scoop. We'll call him and see if he can have breakfast with them. These, Put these are the guys with, with the big checks. Yeah, these are the guys right. that make all the decisions. All right. of them. Right. Um, so, so for to just create big time. And by the way, if you're listening to the lawnmower in the back of Andy Towers' house, we really appreciate Joe in the back who's right. that's actually that's alone. actually kelly leak on a yz80 <laughs> smoking a cigarette getting ready for baseball practice <laughs> if he's drinking at nine in the morning then god bless him he's doing a good job <laughs> uh so we're gonna give you i'm gonna give you a bunch of schools some of them are gonna be easy because yep. you can you can you know it'll be easy others are gonna be hard and i'm gonna try to do this from easy to hard you ready okay. to start this i am number one 15, 20 years from now, who is the head coach at Notre Dame? Oh, that's the toughest one. I think this is the easiest one. Well, considering that Bernsey gets younger year to year, I'd love to say Bernsey. Although, <laughs> oh, you're, uh, you're going to go the opposite. You're not going to go Bernsey. Uh, well, yeah, I, this I mean, look, easy because it is, like, right, it is Bernsey. I mean, Bernsey, considering that he doesn't age, is clearly going to be the guy that's in line. Um, you know, the strange thing about Notre Dame is not a lot of guys that played at Notre Dame actually stay in college, college coaching, coaching 
to coach right. college across. And that that's you know certainly going to be where you'd start when you're anticipating coaching changes at these programs. Some schools obviously churn out guys that become college coaches and some schools don't. And Notre Dame, you know, you sort of look across the college coaching ranks on the assistant level and guys that have stayed in it, there's just not a lot of guys. And so the obvious choice for me is when Kevin Corrigan retires, hopefully after winning many national championships for Kevin's sake, <laughs> um, you know, Bernsey is obviously going to step in and take that job, provided that some BCS school doesn't start a program and go out and make him an offer that he simply can't refuse. Like Michigan? Like Michigan. Um, but the obvious choice for me is is right within the current staff is you have alum Matt Carwick on the staff, and you got to believe that when Kevin steps down at Notre Dame, that Bernsey steps into his role and bumps Matt up, and then I would think that Matt would evolve into the premier candidate for that program as an alum, as a guy that will hopefully have been an assistant on winning national championships for Kevin before he steps down, and for Bernsey before he takes over and steps down. <laughs> <laughs> I already like where this where this conversation is going because you've already gone second level. I thought this was going to be like a first level type of conversation, but I cannot wait until we get to some of these schools. Layers, right? I've got many layers. When you have an attention span deficiency like I have, you have to have many layers um, <laughs> in order to appeal to a wide range of listeners, and that's our goal. It in your face. Um, <laughs> So I, I'm going to answer your question. I'm going to say in 15 years, the head coach of the Notre Dame Fighting Irish is Matt Carwood. Wow. I like it. I like it. Here's the Now now it's really going to get interesting. Okay. Uh, who's the head coach at Syracuse? Oh. <laughs> you know, in five years, this would be easy for me. Um, Who is it? it five Gary. years? Actually, I, I, I don't Gary, think it's, it's Gary Gate. It's Gary Gate, I think, wow. has, I, I believe, and this could be the cross hearsay, of which we know there's a ton of, uh, but I believe that Gary Gate, currently the SU women's head coach, making unofficially 700000 plus all in on everything, right? Um, I believe in his contract as the coach of the women's program has first right of refusal when John Desco steps down from SU, whenever that may be. Now, I could be wrong, but I think I'm right. And it's not the first time I think I'm right. Uh, so I would say in five years, it would be Gary Gate. But if we look at 15 years down the road, Gary Gate, assuming he's 50 years old right now, he'll be 65, so he'll probably be two years out of playing in the MML, NLL, right? His last year, he'll be at 63. And he'll have like... 47 goals and 27 assists and be like the ninth thing to score in the league. That's, uh, when he knows, that's when he knows he's he's almost out of the top 10, so he's got to retire. Right, and he'll be doing weightlifting commercials, but not just in gloves. He'll actually have like full leather arm sleeves. It'll be like a tank top with leather arm sleeves. Uh, but still be jacked. Picture, though? How about that picture, though, with the gloves? That's I'm good. never wearing gloves ever again. Gary's badass. Gary's badass. Um, so to answer your question, in 15 years, it's Casey Powell. Wow. And it was, it was going to be between John Galloway and Casey Powell, but let's face it, 
Those two guys did a great job this year. John Galloway's the head coach, obviously, so he's got a slight advantage at this point in the process, but you got to believe that as Casey Powell continues to stay in college coaching, that he's going to have an advantage on virtually everybody as time evolves. And I think depending upon what happens, I think that Casey Powell ends up wanting to go back up to upstate New York. And I think as the arguably the biggest name in the history of the sport are right there on the Mount Rushmore of the people that have played the sport, as Clark would say. Clark, I hope you're out there working on your pompadour. Um, Casey Powell would be my pick as head coach of Syracuse in 15 years. I don't think Casey Powell is going to be in college coaching in the next five. Okay. I don't. So who do you think it is then? I think it's Johnny Galloway for 100% hands down if – if he continues to, you know, obviously three three wins isn't necessarily what he wants on his, you know, first year resume, but and he's got a lot of goals that he set out in the beginning of the year that he wanted to accomplish, and I don't think he did any of them, but that's 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 fine. He yeah. got into the the uh, the SoCon tournament, and that's important. So that's a huge step in the right direction for Johnny Galloway. Right. But I think that Casey Powell, in a, in the end, is going to end up you know, doing his thing with his foundations and his speed lacrosse. And he's got, he's got so many other things going on. Um, you know, I, I'm curious to know what his impact has been for Jacksonville thus far. I'm sure it's been tremendous. But I really feel like, you know, if you're in it, you'd have been in it a long time ago. Um, and I think that, you know, Johnny Galloway is in it. And he's the guy that's already, you know, creating waves amongst the Division One uh, lacrosse world in terms of his, uh, you know, maturity in such a young position uh, at Jacksonville. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna go with Galloway first. I, I, I don't disagree with you. I, I don't disagree with you. Um, that's gonna be, that's, that's, that's interesting. So I got another one. I got a bunch. Okay. okay. Your boy Lars Tiffany, no longer head coach at UVA. Yeah. Who's it going to be? Uh, this one's easy. Um, provided he stays in college coaching, uh, I think you've got to go with alum Kip Turner. Um, it just seems so – the progression seems so easy. You know, Lars comes in, creates excitement in year one for Virginia. They lose a bunch of one-goal games. They missed the playoffs. I think we're going to see a big jump next year. And then I think the jump beyond that is going to be UVA back in the Final Four or a threat to be in the Final Four annually. And I think that Lars is going to win a national championship or three at Virginia over the course of the next 12 years himself, uh, following in the footsteps of Dom. And I think that you know, in the process of doing that, Kip Turner is going to evolve as the clear favorite to take the program over when Lars eventually steps down. So my pick in 15 years, head coach of the Virginia Cavaliers will be uh, Kip Turner. Who do you got? Uh, I've got a guy because we're going to go to the next team. And by the way, you can't repeat any of the guys taking jobs 15 years. from. Yeah, I don't do that. My attention span, I can't get that. Um, so here's the deal. I've got a guy named Kevin Cassis, head coach, Virginia, in 15 years. And the reason I say this, A.T., is because I'm going to ask you. I know. Is the head coach at Duke in 15, 20 years? 
All right, so that's a really good um, segue. You used Kevin Cassis. So I, I got I got two people that stick out, uh, and they're fairly obvious. And one is Kevin Cassis, and the other is Matt Donowski, right? So the question becomes, does Matt Donowski stay in coaching? And you got to think he, he will. Um, but the difference here being is when John Donowski steps down, Matt Donowski is going to be too young to be able to take that job over right away. He will be behind Kevin Cassis when Duke comes looking for the next head coach. If John Donowski is, what do you think he is? 58, 60 years old, about 55. 70, 70. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how old John Donowski is. Um, you know, he's kind of like Fred Flintstone. You can't tell if he's 43 or 58. Um, but I, I just, what I think is going to happen is when John Donowski steps down, Kevin Cassis is going to be the guy that is the front runner. He's going to go in and he's going to interview for the position. He's going to crush the interview and he's going to get the job. And I think that's going to be the right hire. I think he's going to beat out Chris Gabrielli for that job. I think you're out of your mind. Okay. You're this, out of your mind. How does Dan Shamati not immediately float from because, Richmond? Because Kevin Cassis right into Durham. Kevin Cassis is the poster boy for Duke lacrosse and how to get it done. Right? He was, I believe... Uh, he was definitely ACC Player of the Year. He may have been ACC Player of the Year three times. He was on the U.S. World Team three times as a player. He's he's Broughton Lehigh Broughton sick word Broughton. That's out yes. of, that's out of yours. You caught me. That's good. Yes. Uh, he's he's brought Lehigh to a level now, not in the last two years, but th he brought them to a level where they were a genuine Final Four threat at Lehigh, right? And I think that no, no question Dan Shimani is one of the best coaches out there and more specifically one of the best young coaches out there. But Kevin Cassis had a better playing career. He was a great fill-in after Mike Presser got run out of there unfairly, preceding the hire of John Donowski. He's going to have been a head coach at a program that has done it longer than Dan Shimadi. And I think that, I think he's the front runner. You know, Dan Shimadi hasn't made the playoffs yet. He had a great year, a great regular season this year. He did well last year. He did better this year. They lose some players to graduation this spring, but they didn't make the playoffs. Right? Kevin Cassis made the playoffs and basically had Maryland dead in the water and ended up losing by a goal. I, I just think it's I think it's Kevin Cassis's job to lose. Now we'll see what happens if John Donowski's there for another eight years, which could very well be the case. <laughs> and Kevin, God, doesn't, everyone Kevin doesn't make the playoffs again. And Shamats ends up taking Richmond to the playoffs, you know, two times in the next eight years, which is very, very, very realistic. You know, I, I, I think that list could change. But as of right now, sitting here, I've got I think it's Kevin Cassis first. I've, I've got Shamati for okay. sure. I think it's Shamati's okay. job. 
I think uh, as much as Kevin Cassis has made it, and that's the reason why I gave him the UVA job. I gave him the UVA job. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, we just got a tweet, Ryan Conwell. Early recruiting has to stop. <laughs> I like it, man. I like it. <laughs> 15, 20 years from now, we're already recruiting coaches into the big right. spots. Um, here's the deal. Uh, I got a text from Mr. Kirkaldi. How about Taylor Ray? Taylor Ray's a great one. He's a great one. He's a great one. He's, he's, he's a great one. Taylor Ray would be a great one. Um, great one for. But I, he's, he's going to be behind both Kevin and Shamans. I do agree with that. I do agree with that. I got a couple more. We got to go quicker here. Uh, Johns yep. Hopkins. This one's easy. That's, it's got to be Sean Natalie. It's definitely that's that was dumb. Let's move on. It's definitely Natalie's. But I, I would say other considerations. You look at Connor Ford, depending upon what happens to him at Michigan, and then potentially is Todd Volker Kaplan. still alive? Volks, I think at that point is going to be sixty-four years old. I think that that's done. I think it's Sean Natalie's job. Yeah, it's Sean Natalie's job. Here's a good one, Maryland. I got two names. Ooh. Following in the line. Of you don't have to be a grad, you don't have to be a former coach on the Maryland staff. I think the head coach at that point is Matt Brown. However, wow, I, I got Matt Brown and I got Joe Amplub as the two guys that I think uh, end up at that position based on the way things are going. If that job opens up sooner, which it's not, let's face it, Tills is 48, 49 years old, that favors. Brownie, in my opinion, if Maryland opened up in the next two years, I think Joe Amplow would be the favorite there, given what he's done at Marquette and the fact that he has head coaching experience. But I'm going to say Matt Brown. That's my pick. All right, last one. Who do you have? Who do you have? For Hopkins? I mean, uh, sorry, for for Maryland? Yeah. You could go like Connery, you know. You could. Years from now, you could go because Tillman will be there for another 10 years rounding up Final Four victories. Um, (laughs) I I don't really – like, I kind of just wanted to hear your thoughts on all this because I didn't really put a lot of thought into it. I was Uh, like, God, some of this is really hard. And, you know – What about Jake Bernhardt? But Bernhardt brothers, do they come – do they actually eventually come together and – create their own staff so one went to maryland Maryland, and then one went to hopkins and then finished at maryland i don't i thought they both just went to hop uh to maryland i don't know if one transferred but think about all three of them they they could defensive offensive coordinator and head coach boom done they could bring their dad on as director of player isn't that obese uh yes coach at texans right you could have a full Bernhardt staff. Right. Think about that for a second, actually. That is sick. I don't know if anyone's ever mentioned that. But that imagine is... having a whole family staff living in College Park. Right. Filling all the respective roles. Everything you need. That's very good point. That's pretty cool. Uh, and the last one, North Carolina. Who's the head coach in 20 years? Uh, that one's easy for me. Ooh. John Lattimore. Wow. He comes back? Listen, listen. Judd's done a phenomenal job at Holy Cross. They've made the Patriot League tournament. They, You actually went on them in their head-to-head game against Loyola, Wait, right? Uh-huh. But Loyola, no, 
you picked them, but you didn't win. Loyola won, and they covered, and I had Loyola. Right. But I got Judd Lattimore as the front runner for that job in 15 years. I think he'll be entering like year three. I think Bresh coaches there until he doesn't want to coach there, which if Bresh is 49 years old, I think he'll be there 64. Does Bresh go to Michigan? No. Bresh stays at Carolina. Judd Lattimore. Wow. That is a shocker that you said that. Who? Like a complete shocker that you said that. You got to look at what's happening, right? The, the progression in which people get these jobs. Take Lars Tiffany, for instance, right? Lars is an assistant at Dartmouth under Ricky. Recruited me. Yeah. Great. Goes to Penn State. Gets the head, gets the head job at Stony Brook. And does an awesome job at Stony Brook. I think he was there two years, ended up in his second year. The Amhees coach of the year, whether he won the league or not, I can't remember. Then he goes and he gets the head job at Brown. Right? He's at Brown about uh, probably seven years, eight years. I don't know the exact number. Brings them to the Final Four, and now he's got the head job at Virginia. You look at Judd. He went... I believe from North Carolina to Penn to Michigan no. or no, North Carolina, Penn. Michigan, Penn, and then head coach of Holy Cross. No, I think you're right. Actually. Didn't he go to Penn, then Michigan? Then Penn? I, I think that's right. But the bottom line is he seems to be on a path where it's not unrealistic to think. Now, I don't think he goes from if Holy Cross go, to North Carolina. Go Patriot, I don't think he goes from Holy Cross to North Carolina, but I can see him going from Holy Cross to, you know, sort of a top 15 to 25 program and then going to North Carolina. That's that's what I could see happen. Now, he's got to continue to win, um, but I think he will. I think he's found that... Selling Holy Cross and great academics in a sport where these guys aren't playing pro lacrosse for big paychecks is a very compelling pitch as the game expands at the youth and high school levels. And there's just more and more great players out there. And as a result of that, there are more and more great players with great academic profiles that get the magnitude of their decision on where they want to play college across and judge just has to get his 10 and he's getting them. How about this? How about a couple guys that we missed? John Torpy. We missed yeah. him. Yeah. You know, Ryan Poley. We missed him. One of the biggest misses. I think that we missed in Notre Dame was Brian Fisher. How did we miss that? That's a great call. That's a completely great, missed that. That's a great call. That's a really That's great who call. the next head coach is at Notre Dame in 20 years. If he comes oh, what he's Maybe. doing in Monmouth. Maybe. Maybe he's right. But Chris Fife's. He's talking about young bucks. Yeah. Like, and not saying that Ryan Paul, if you're watching, if you're listening to this show, Ryan, you're old as shit. <laughs> but you got a good job uh, right here. <laughs> but like Fife's, you know, you've got, how about Madeline? Uh, you know, does he ever leave Princeton? I think I that I, job is I, I, I landed in his lap, and I think he's hugging onto it, and he's he hugging did a great job. He, he he did he's a doing awesome a job this year. I don't. I, I think Princeton is an end of the rainbow job. I don't. I don't think that. I think once 
he has another successful season. I think Princeton is going to open the wallet for him, as I think they should. Um, but but he needs to get that contract before. Uh, and I've signed a 15-year deal before Michael Savage graduates, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Holy smokes. Hey, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back. We got five to Warton finalists, and we're going to talk about who got screwed. Maximize your comfort. One of New York State's most spectacular full-service public golf facilities. Located in Dutchess County and only an hour north of New York City, the 27 holes wind their way along the Taconic, through the valley, and over the highlands with spectacular views that have made the course famous for over 50 years. With three nine-hole courses to start on, players enjoy fast play and easy access to tee times, even on weekends. Book your next round at BeekmanGolf.com. Let's play today. That's BeekmanGolf.com. At Sisu, we take a very scientific approach to making sure our technologically advanced, doctor-developed, scientifically-backed, industry-changing mouthguards are the most protective, lightest, talkable, breathable, comfortable, drinkable, removable mouthguards on the planet to guarantee you're protected. <clears throat> no matter what comes your way, the Sisu Next Gen. Sisu. Talk. Breathe. Drink. Ah, uh, we're back. We are back. Five Tawarton finalists, AT. Um, They are Baptiste, Spencer. Help me out here. I didn't write them down. Rambo, Connor Fields, and who's the last one? Not Reeves. Uh, It was Baptiste. No, no, Reeves. Yep, you're right. You're right. The obvious screw job, in my opinion. And you can tell me if I'm wrong here, but I I know you're going to tell me I'm right. Zach Courier was not on this list. Yeah, I think. And and there wasn't a midfielder on the list. Right. So at at minimum, at least they didn't put another midfielder on the list. If they did, it's Zach Courier. There was so much outcry on Sergio Salcedo that... I'm like, and, and I, no, I was talking to Sergio Salcedo is not the next one. He's not even the next one. He's not even, the, I, if anything, he's the third midfielder on the list. You got to go Connor Kelly well before you go, you know. And, he, he, and even then, you got Justin Gutterding, who wasn't on this list. And, and, and again, you got to make it to five. I, I like the five finalists. They do that for the Heisman, too. But I think with Zach Courier, if you're not going to have a midfielder on, I, I do think with this year, with the accelerant in each position that you got to have a midfielder on there. And I think Zach Curry is it. What are your thoughts? I, I don't disagree with you at all. You know, the obvious guy in my opinion is Trevor Baptiste. Now listen, I, I know, and I realized fully that four weeks ago I said Trevor Baptiste might be, I, do I mean, he might be I the guy too. based on what he does. Uh, but I've been speaking to some of my friends as well that is tuned into this. Dennis Goldstein, outspoken. You know, how the hell does a face-off guy get on this list? Uh, well, when you're talking about the best face-off guy in the history of college across or close to it, you know, I'm not positive Mark Goers isn't the best face-off guy in the history of college across based on his 77% winning percentage at a time when there were a lot of good guys going. Um, <clears throat> you, had, I, you had 68% through four years and 150 goals. 
Is that what's that? You had sixty-eight percent. Yeah, but, but that's, goals. I don't know. I, 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 I you know. But I will say you didn't have. I don't think you had nearly as many cause turnovers, or ground balls as as Courier did. Yeah, I, I think that. Um, listen, Courier does it all. I just think that a guy like him. When was the last time you saw a guy that was that is the best defensive midfielder in the country? Right, the, the arguably the best offensive midfielder in the country. Arguably, right? that's Argu- okay. arguably that's okay. Uh, the, the best ground ball midfielder in the country. I think is yeah, that's hands down, hands down, zero question. Um, but the, the problem is that the team didn't make the NCAA tournament. That 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 hurts. And now, does it? Does it mean he's any less of a player if Princeton doesn't make the tournament? Of course not. But very rarely do you see a player from a team that doesn't make the NCAA tournament make first-team All-American, let alone make the list of five for our sports Heisman Trophy. Now, the trophy hasn't been around forever. It's been around for... Well, it has, though. It has. Six, I mean, the player seven, of the year has been around. You know. it, it has. But the fact is, is I don't think there's ever been somebody that's been national player year from a team that hasn't made the playoffs. And I think that that's the biggest issue for Zach Courier, is that while their team had a great regular season, they started to drop off a little bit down the stretch. And in the process of that, I don't think it helped Zach Courier's case as it relates to him being in the conversation of who are the best five. And then if you get position-specific, clearly Zach Courier is a much more complete player than Connor Kelly, Sergio Saucedo, Sergio Perkovic, Nick Mariano. Uh, you know, you can continue to sort of go through the list of names there. Um, so I, I got to think that he's the most deserving of the midfielders, <clears throat> but is he one of the best five? I, I think he is, but but it's easy to see based on the fact that Princeton didn't make the playoffs and lost in the semis of the Ivy League tournament to Brown. Why perhaps? I got one for you. I got one okay. for you. Okay. Tommy Schreiber was a finalist on two different Princeton teams that didn't make the tournament. Yeah. Tommy Schreiber's a stud. Tommy Schreiber isn't too different from Zach Courier in terms of the way that they are as players. Tommy Schreiber is a better offensive player than Zach. hundred percent. Yes. Zach Courier is yes. a, a, a better defense. In between the lines. He's, 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 the lines. he's better off the ground than Tommy Schreiber. Um, and Tommy Schreiber played a lot of attack as well. So did Courier. Curry does as well. Yeah. Courier you know what? That's a good point. It's a good point. It's a good point. And uh, I guess Jeremy Boltis, and this is all, by the way, this is all from Jake Nazar. Uh, he's on one of the SB Nation guys, College Cross, who oh. we had this little go between, go you know, back and forth. Uh, but Jeremy Boltis at Army was also a finalist 
yeah. didn't make the tournament. Um, and I'm taking his word for it, by the way. So hopefully he did his research. I bet you he did. He's pretty good at it. Nice job. Um, but I, I, you know, 57% facing off. And by the way, I say this a lot. He was 57% losing and winning faceoffs. Right. He didn't win one faceoff. Zero. He's zero percent winning faceoffs, but he's fifty percent getting the ground ball. Like that's like that's impressive. Right. How do you think and he does in the MLL? If I think he's so, so he's, to be a great I, impact. I do too, and I think that he's going to be a great MLL player, but he's not, in my opinion, going to be successful at the X against the MLLs. Oh no, those guys. I don't too even, elite. Yeah. For him to try to win in the manner in which he wins, and I agree, maybe he wins, maybe his winning percentage is 58%, but the overall time is is percentage is probably closer to 65% when you factor in, you know, ridebacks, right? True. Well, I mean, uh, yeah, you're right. I mean, he does it all the time, but I will say this look, I'm fortunate enough to coach guy named Greg Grimlian, who is the best in the world right now yep. at facing off. But I can tell you this. If Zach Courier goes up against Greg Grimlian, he's going to be super, super bummed out. He is. He's going to get destroyed. Because I mean, And you look at all the face-off guys in the MLL. They're such pure technicians. But this guy, Courier, is just going to track you down. With a short stick and his accuracy and his checks that he throws one-handed is phenomenal. And it's just the ball's going to be on the ground the whole time. I'm, I'm actually now thinking about it and curious. Could he make an impact in the MLL as a face-off guy? And he's going to, again, he's going to lose every one of them. But can they defensively, defensive draw, track it down? I'm not so sure. They're too good. Um, they're, 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 listen, they, listen. They are. It's the really, difference really between going against Ted Ottens from Brown, who's very good but he's a very good college guy and going against one of the best six in the world. So it's too much of a jump. It's too, he's, he's great at what he does in division one lacrosse right now. But when you're talking about the jump to the MLL, you're talking about six guys that are currently facing off for their respective teams. Nine, nine, whatever. Okay, that are the best of the last 10 years. They're not, you know, the nine best from this past season. They're the, they're the best nine from the last 10 years. Right. It's just such a big jump. Right. You don't, you don't, it is. People don't adequately understand how great those guys are and what the distance is between those guys Facing on game day at the, in the MLL versus the guys that are taking face-offs at the D1 level. It's just a major, major jump. Uh, Justin Gutter, did he get screwed? Hard hard to say that he didn't. Um, you know, but if I'm looking at this Reeves, list, Reeves versus Gutterding. Reeves that, versus that's Gutterding. the one for me, okay? Is Gutterding screwed compared to Fields? No, Fields deserves to be there ahead of Gutterding, right? In my opinion... I would say Gutterding deserves to be there ahead of Pat Spencer. He definitely, I agree with he definitely that. doesn't, to be, in my opinion, he's not ahead of Fields. He's not ahead of Rambo. And no. based on the way Ben Reeves capped his college career, 
I think that he deserves to be on this list. The game he played I do as well. was phenomenal. I think Pat Spencer is the one that, while he had a great season statistically and is undeniably a phenomenal player, the reality is Justin Gooderding has had a better year. Yes. Duke pounded Loyola when they played head-to-head. Yep. And they're still in the tournament. So I think that Justin Gooderding did get screwed. If Pat Spencer's yeah. on this list, Gooderding got screwed. If Spencer's off the list and Zach Courier is on the list, then Gutterding did not get screwed. I like that. I like that. Anyone else that got screwed? Connor Kelly, midfielder, Maryland. Connor Kelly didn't. Right, but I still think that you, Courier goes uh, in first. Yeah, he goes in first. He does. Yep. I agree. Uh, any other guys? Any defensive guys? You know, we talked about. We're gonna we're gonna get to that in a second. In fact, you know what? Let's go to the next segment right. here. We're gonna go through your players of the year. Uh, let's start with the Schmeiser Award winner. Who is your guy? For me, this is a guy that I was shocked did not make the inside the cross first team. First team, as voted on by media, I, I had a vote in that, and and I put together my first team, second team, third team. And to me, this guy's the defenseman of the year, but but didn't end up making first team on that lineup. And I'm not saying the guys that did deserved it. I only had one. You know, the one the one overlapping that I had, um, you know, was the defenseman for Marilyn Muller, who's a stud. But my my pick for the best defenseman of the year. And we're going to watch him play this weekend against Justin Gooderding. And that's Ben Randall. Right? You look at what Ben Randall's done for Ohio State. He chased Connor Canazero out of the shoe when they played each other at the end of the match. <laughs> I've, never, I've never seen anybody do that to Connor Canazero. No one. And he right. did it. And then you Although look ben, at. Uh, Landis, Landis had a pretty good time with Canazero. He did a pretty good job. Yeah, but not, not, to the, not in a 17 to 6 victory. Um, you know, and then you look at what happened in this weekend's Ohio State Loyola Greyhounds game, and they put Ben Randall on an island against Pat Spencer. That's right. And Loyola put up four goals. It just goes to show the, the one. Yeah, the one. The one impressive thing was is that they put him on an island. And the one thing that Pat Spencer and people don't realize, they want to judge with goals and stuff. It's not the goals for Pat Spencer. It's his ability to make his players that much better. He's got 55 assists on the year. That means he's going to the rack, he's beating, he's drawing slides, and he's making plays off the dodge. They put him on the island, and he had nowhere to go. He had a goal, and yes, he got through the pick, and I think the Ohio State guy got in front of Ben Randall, and he got the half step that he needs. And that's the that's the danger of a guy like Pat Spencer. You got a half step on him, he's going to score. And he needs that two or three times to open up the fact that he's going to put five assists on the board in a stat sheet on a game. And he didn't get it all game. He stayed right on his hips, didn't throw any checks. It was very, it was very Tucker Durkin-ish. Yeah. What he did against Pat Spencer. Uh, David and Morrow, I agree right. with you 100%. I agree yeah. with you 100%. Yeah. Um, so let's go. McLaughlin Award winner. Uh, well, we kind uh, of covered it. I, I'm saying, listen, between those three, and, and I have those three exact guys as Salcedo, Salcedo, Salcedo Kelly, Courier, and Cunningham. I got, I'm going to say Courier based on uh, you know our aforementioned data points. So Zach Courier, to me, is the midfielder of the year here. I agree as well. And the thing that, you know, 
you look at guys like Kyle Harrison, you look at guys like even Max Seabold, he didn't take that many face-offs, but John Glenn as well. Uh, they I thought John Glenn was better stats. that year. <clears throat> I did too. Uh, and you ask a lot of his teammates, and they will. But, you know, Seabold had a great career. and he Seabold athletically he is, is <clears throat> probably the best overall athlete, he and Kyle Harrison, in my opinion, in the last 25 years of college across just in sheer, in sheer athleticism, those two guys stand alone. But John Glenn was the better lacrosse player. He faced off. He was a much better face-off guy. He was a much greater threat offensively. He could feed like you can't believe. You know, you and I, I still think that parts of our bodies hurt uh, right in the middle, <laughs> below my back, from the first five minutes of our game against Cornell when they were up ten to one. Yes. Against us. And John Glenn, I think, had five. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And yeah. he had also had 10 face or 11 faceoff wins at that point, too. Right. Um, uh, so we agree. Courier is our McLaughlin winner, yeah. award winner. Uh, Turnbull award winner. Best attackman in the country goes to. So for me, you know, the, one, of the, one of the patterns that's taken place over the years as these awards come out annually is that, you know, in some instances you see an attackman get the Turnbull Award, but then another attackman make get the Player of the Year Award. You know, you look back right. in 1991 yeah. when Mark Douglas from Maryland ended up getting the, the Attackman of the Year Award that, that year, and Dennis Goldstein from North Carolina ended up getting the Player of the Year Award. And both were deserving. I think that in another they also they also judge this you can say that the Tawarton kind of makes an impact too on this a little bit yeah as you could also do a player of the year the same player of the year doesn't have to be the Tawarton winner either. no it doesn't and and, and, it, and sometimes it's not I think I think one year it may have been Danowski was player of the year and the NCAA the enters award and then I think Rabel made the tour won the tour something like that I, I'm not positive way it broke down but um you know for this season You've got four great attackmen on this Tawaratan list. But to me, the Turnbull Award winner is clearly Connor Fields here. Um, you know, just, just statistically, he's put together an out-of-this-world season. And depending upon what happens, if Albany goes and wins the national championship or Connor Fields gets to play three more games, I think you, I think you could see him with the single-season points record. I, I really think you can. And... Potentially. Um, so to me, Connor Fields is the, is the Turnbull Award winner of the season. I, I mean, I don't disagree with you. I just wish Albany played a tougher skate. Me too. I mean, I've been whining about that since day out. one. Although, I know. It, although it's not with their, their performance this weekend, uh, you know. I, I, it doesn't matter, right? I guess. Yeah, it doesn't matter. I mean, I'm, I'm firmly a believer of Albany. In fact, I'm just going to say. I hope Albany wins the whole thing this year. I'd love to see Scotty Marr win it and stick it to me, who all year long has been outspoken about Albany being ranked too highly. And I still don't back off of that. It's still all body of work. But, right. wow, were they impressive during the first half of this past yeah, weekend. Right. I don't disagree. We're going to get to that in a second, though. Let's uh, let's stay on track here and let's go. So who do you? I I, 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 I guess I got to because because I guess player of the year. I I think I know who I'm going to get player of the year here. Yeah. 
But if I'm going to do what your same thing, and I, I do like giving awards to those who deserve it. And I don't like one person winning all the awards unless you're Mikey Powell because he deserved every award. It's like, who's the best defenseman in the world? Uh, Mikey Powell. Um, but uh, I'm going to go with Connor Fields because I do have a player of the year. But let's go to the Marklin Kelly Jr. Award winner, which is the best goalie in the country. AT, I think this is unanimous, me and you. But go ahead. Well, for the first half of the season – or the first three quarters of the season, I would have said Benny Pugh. But the fact that they didn't get it done in the SOCON championship against Air Force and lost, and I looked at the way that Tom Carey from Ohio State played down the stretch of the season, and the fact that they hold Loyola to four goals, and they just flat out, may win the national championship here. I've got Tom Carey as the Markland Award winner this year. I just think that he's progressively played better. And the fact that Ohio State is favored, I believe, or should be, or close this weekend to Duke. And I think Ohio State goes to the final game. Whether or not they beat, whether or not they win the national championship, I don't know. But I got Tom Carey as the first-team All-American, the best goalie in the country overall based on what's happening. He's playing his best at the right time, seems to play his best in the biggest games. I got Tom Carey as this award winner. So here's the deal. We trashed this guy. First off, I would give it to Benny Pugh. Okay. He was 66 on the year. That's far... Uh, but he's, playing, so, he's playing in the SoCon Conference, right? They played a relatively... I don't want to say light because they did play North Carolina, Duke, and Virginia, but Virginia wasn't phenomenal. Carolina, yeah, but you're going to see a lot of rubber in, against Virginia. Yeah, no, you're, you're right. You're right. Listen, you're right. You're right. I, 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 I'll shut up. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, but here's a guy that we trashed all year, and I'd love to see his second half stats right around with uh, Mackie from uh, from Yale at the Faceoff X. But Danny Morris ended up the season is still going at fifty four point six percent. Like, that's a guy who turned it around in the second half. Now, you're going to say Tommy Carey. Tommy Carey is 54.6 on the year. Yeah. And Maryland plays a little bit faster than Ohio State. I mean, you know, I'm not saying either one. I, I do agree that Tommy Carey is a great goalie. I think that he's definitely in the running. I think it, I think it comes down to Tommy Carey, Dan Morris, Benny Pugh. But there are other guys on this list that are left out, and none of them are in the tournament. Right, John Conkannon, Jack Conkannon, yep. Tate Boyce. Tate Boyce is I mean, such a stud. He is a stud. He was fifty-seven percent on the year. Right. Now, again, you're in the Big Ten. Like, there's a lot of differences. Like, you know, but in the end, you got a lot of. How about Nick Kreshko from Monmouth? Yeah, he's probably a big reason why Monmouth was fourteen and three. Well, no, I mean, no question. Year. No question. You, and then behind. Carrie and Dan Morris, you guys got you got, got Danny Fowler at Duke at 53. Yeah. Uh, you got Tyler Blaisdell, as we know, but he kind of faded off. Yeah, he got Shane lit Doss up down the stretch. Playing. Shane Doss is a he star, did. too. Robert Shaw. I mean, you've, yeah. you've got some guys in here that, uh, you know, have a, a legitimate shot at this, but most of the guys at the top of this list. Statistically, it's Benny Pugh. There's no question about that. I just, I don't know. I I agree with you. Let's I, see what, let's see what happens. If Ohio State wins the national championship and they're holding people to single digits, uh, I can see Tom Carey evolving into 
the choice. Um, I, then got, you got, then you got Dan Morris on the other side that's going to do the exact same thing. And you got, also have J.D. Colarusso from Albany who's at 55% right now, and he's top 10 in the country. So, so, you know, this is not an easy one for people to vote on. Um, and I think that, you know, you look at the people who are going to influence this decision, and you you got a team that played Duke, Carolina, and um, – uh, sorry, with Richmond, uh, and and they're going to tell you that Benny Pugh is a large reason why they couldn't score on Richmond's defense. On right. top of their defense was very good too. Right. Uh, who's your player of the year, though? Um, this one to me has become obvious over the last four weeks. Uh, it's Matt Randolph. He's incredible, isn't he? Uh, he's incredible. Listen, he he's been a beast for four years there, but Maryland to me is the team to beat in the tournament. He's their guy. He's been uncoverable. I mean, he really has. And for a team with... He's so one-dimensional, AT. Though. Yes. He's very, that's, that's very so... one-dimensional. Right, Quint? That's... Are we going to get Quint on the show? <laughs> I hope Are going to so. get Quint on the so. show? You if get we Quint do, I hope show. he wears his shirt, his paramecium shirt. That was a sickle. You know what? He's going to be the first ESPN bro- uh, broadcaster to wear a romper on air. <laughs> a full man romper. I would love to see Dude, that. what is a romper? romper. A romper is the one piece that you see the chicks going around, and then Cam Newton kind of like made it popular. Now all the dudes all summer are wearing one piece rompers. I'll tell you, who you're not yes. going to find a romper, and that's Andrew Towers. <laughs> I, now we could make a bet. We could make a bet, and then you got to wear the romper. Right, that would be worse we than, also than do- Jimmy Harkin's Petro Bitch T-shirt, which which you may end up wearing this weekend, depending upon uh, how well, it goes. Go Towson, go Towson. Right. Towson's the difference maker in the ter- in the thing. <laughs> And then it's going to come down to points between the two of us because we have all the rest of the same picks. Um, I have Rambo as well. Rambo is just a, a completely dominant individual, and I also have him as uh, the Tawarton winner. I'm assuming you do as well. I do. All right. With all of that, we're going to Beekman take a Golf break. Course we'll right is one of New York State's time. most spectacular full-service public golf facilities. Located in Dutchess County and only an hour north of New York City, the 27 holes wind their way along the Taconic through the valley and over the highlands with spectacular views that have made the course famous for over 50 years with three nine-hole courses to start on players enjoy fast play and easy access to tee times even on weekends book your next round at beekmangolf.com let's play today that's beekmangolf.com at sisu we take a very scientific approach to making sure our technologically advanced doctor-developed, scientifically-backed, industry-changing mouth guards are the most protective, lightest, talkable, breathable, comfortable, drinkable, remoldable mouth guards on the planet to guarantee you're protected. No matter what comes your way, the Sisu Next Gen. Sisu. Talk. Breathe. Drink. This call is being recorded. We're back. We are back, and we're going to go over games this weekend. I'm going to give you a couple questions here, AT. You're going to answer them, and uh, we're going to fly through our review. But do you have any comments at all on DU Air Force, Notre Dame, Marquette? No. I I picked both of those teams um, in both of those games. I thought that they would evolve the way that they did. I actually thought Marquette, for a little while, played better than I thought they would I think Notre Dame jumped out to a 4-1 lead, and Marquette, I believe, ended up tying up at 4-4. I had to go to James's 
fourth grade house league, um, which James did. James's team did. <laughs> what was his stat line? What was his stat line? What was James's stat line? Uh, probably in the first game, it was probably um, probably twelve for thirteen at the X, and was probably three goals and six assists. <laughs> and then in the second. How old is James? How old is James? So people know. He's, uh, he's ten. He's yeah, 10. and then but he's got a plunger that he pulls right to his ear, and he's he's got a lot of swagger and arrogance. Hunter Hunter versus Jamesy, who wins? Uh, Hunter Hanford. Yeah, he's a stud. I, I, I saw him facing off in uh, Instagram. He's got the pl- he's got the plunger down. He's who, who he's wins? Uh, who wins? Uh, James wins. James older. James is three years older. <laughs> oh, three years older. Yeah. I thought there was the no. Match. But Hunter Hanford is unbelievable. I mean, he is. He <laughs> is. You should see him play in the field. Uh, he he's phenomenal. He is phenomenal. Let's stay on track, though. Yeah. <laughs> We could do the whole Darian New Canaan. So I don't, I don't have, I don't have a lot of, I don't have a lot of color. Both those games went how I thought that they would go, and each of the favorites coasted to uh, wide victories and both covered. I uh, yeah, I for me, uh, the only storyline to either one of those games was uh, Ryder Garnsey's tweet where he said Marquette got hosed. Because everyone was talking about how everyone got hosed, this and that, and, and you said Marquette got hosed, and I was like, "Ooh, if Marquette." Got I like it. it. I, li- I like that he did that. That's uh, <laughs> that's very, awesome. That must have given his teammates honest. confidence. You know, when you're oh, yeah, when one of your two best scary. players, you know, goes out on a limb like that. I'm not sure that you know Bernsey and Kevin Corrigan were pumped about it. <laughs> but you know, if, know if, if if you're on that team and one of your teammates tweets that out. I think that you know that that snaps you to attention. I I would love that, frankly. That's that's hilarious. Um, so uh, I got a question for you: Did Yale blow the game, or did Cuse earn a hard-fought victory? You know what? I, I think that I think Yale blew the game. I, I shouldn't say Yale blew the game because Yale, to me, was the better team and they play they won the face-offs and, and I was wrong in this game I thought that I, Mac, I said Mac you did you, you're absolutely right I was wrong and Mackie was phenomenal and they controlled the ball and Yale played a great game and their best player played great down the stretch I don't want to say Yale played you know Yale blew the game because I don't think that's what it is but to me there was one play that was the difference, and that's all you need against a team like Syracuse. And that was when I think it was Hartford, the goalie, threw the ball on the ride and got picked off. One more pass to Derek D. Joe. That that's the guy, 22, right? Yep, yep, and he yep. stuffed it. And, and it was late in the game, and it was a ride back, and that was the one error that did Yale in, in my opinion. And that was a, you know, a mistake clearing the ball that led to an immediate goal and in the end was the difference in the game of which I thought Yale was the better team for 58 minutes. I thought Yale was the better team for every everything but one play. And at the end I thought it was I thought I thought Ben Reeves trying to pass the ball at the end there was kind of tough play too. I was bummed out that Ben didn't get to the island because when he gets to the and he, island, and he just didn't they just didn't sweep top side and shoot it low between the goalie's legs like he did four times in a row for goals 
<laughs> yeah, like why why change it up? I mean, you know it's working, and, and to be honest, I think the whole season for Ben Reeves came to a pot. I mean, he, you knew he wasn't healthy. Ben Reeves has been banged up kind of all year. He went through a four-overtime game with Penn. You know, he ran it to a one-goal game against, you know, 24 hours later uh, against Brown. Um, you know, he's got a lot of pressure on him as a one-man show on that offense. By the way, I do say that Yale has the best first two midlines in the country. Not necessarily the first midline, but they are the one, the, 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 probably the deepest midfield in the country, and they're all coming back. Wow. Um, you know, so for him to not get to the island at minimum, force them to at least hedge off of Goddett to throw the ball, but I felt like Reeves kind of quit playing offense at that last second there. He was just tired. Yeah, I mean, but with that said, Reeves over-delivered in that game yeah. in a big, big way. You know, when they're down two goals, 10-8, and Reeves goes two dodging goals right in a row, goal, goal. I, I, I thought Yale, it made me sick because I wanted Yale to win, and I hate Yale, and I never would vote for Yale, but in the tournament when they're the only Ivy League team, I wanted them to win. Um, and I was, I was pulling for them. Um, so I, I shouldn't say that I think Yale blew the game. I don't think that's the case. I just think that that one play to me was kind of like, you can't do that against Syracuse. It's hard enough in the dome. Yeah. It's just, in the dome. And, and, and in the end, yeah, that was it. That was it. I was concerned about Yale's goaltending in the game. And ironically, it wasn't necessarily, you know, a lack of saving per se, although statistically it was not a good game. I think it was right around 38, 40% for the game, but that one play, that was the difference. Right. Evan Malloy had an incredible game. Too. He did. I mean, 15 saves. He kept them in the game. I mean, that was, it was big. And he also had, if you, if, you know, the deflection off of Ben Reeves at the end of the game to solidify yep. it. I mean, that was big. If it doesn't rain, does USC lose by 50 in that game? I don't think so. I mean, listen, in, in almost every single game that UNC plays, it's their opponents that hope that it rains so that the <laughs> talent disparity can be neutralized. I was wrong in this game. I, I thought Carolina would win outright. I thought Stephen Kelly would beat up TD Ireland. And in watching that, I was, and I was in bed by halftime. Um, you know, the fact is, is that that performance by Albany, and I missed the second half, but the first half performance in Albany, how do you not look at that and say, who the hell is going to be able to beat this team? They, their face-off guy is unbelievable. They looked so much like Brown, in my opinion, last year, in the way that they just chuck it in. You know, they chuck it to the pinches. They chuck it in the crease. Somebody can make a back cut, and he's open by a quarter step, and they're throwing it right on a stick. You know, highlighted by the goal from Connor Fields when TD Ireland wins the ball out the front, and Connor Fields back cuts his defender and has, you know, a half-step advantage and catches it over the shoulder in stride from their freshman faceoff guy who's beating up you know, a senior in one of, you know, college across biggest names in Stephen Bones Kelly on the biggest stage all year long for both teams. It, it, this is a really scary team. I mean, they play with so much confidence and so much balls that if TD Ireland continues to have that level of success, it's not unrealistic at all to think that, Albany is going to go on and win the national championship. Now, with that said, 
they've got the two greatest hurdles, in my opinion, coming back to back. First is Maryland, yes. and that's the team that um, you know gives them the toughest overall test, and the team that I think ultimately wins the national championship. But if Albany is going to win that game, they're going to win the game because TD Ireland controls the faceoff X. They control the middle of the field. And, you know, they end up getting the first opportunity to play offense after every goal is scored. That That's that's the way that they're going to win. TD Ireland needs to play that way. And if they win that game, they get the winner of DU Notre Dame. Now, that in itself is going to be phenomenal. It's going to be a phenomenal game. And if DU wins that game, he goes right into Trevor Baptiste. And that's one that we're paying big money to see, TD Ireland versus yes. Trevor Baptiste. And I don't think that... You can go into that game and say TD Ireland's going to win the faceoffs. I think TD Ireland wins the faceoffs seventy percent plus against Maryland this weekend. And if they do that, and Maryland and, and, and Albany finds a way to win the game, I and they play DU because DU wins. I don't think that TD Ireland wins. Uh, you know, against Trevor Baptiste, I don't think that happens. So first things first, he's got to he's got to control the faceoff acts. I think seventy percent plus against Maryland for Albany to be. Um, in a position to win that game. If, if that's 50-50, Albany's going to lose by three goals. I don't disagree with you at all there. Uh, are you worried about the ending of the Maryland game? I'm not. You know, look, these guys were up, what, 13-7, something like that? 13-5. 13-5. Wow. And they gave up. Uh, Here's my issue with the end of that game. Yeah. At 13-5, Rambo has his eight point, eighth point, whether it was a goal or and they took him out. Get. They took him out, and there was a huge ovation when he came out. There was a good nine minutes left in the game. And I thought to myself, I'm like, look, 13 goals. You've only put up 13 goals. And I, I do think that there's something to be said for, you know, they want to respect the points record and not have them, say, like demolish it on a victory that, say, you know what I mean, is like a blowout in the first round of the tournament. Is that what they talked about? Um, no, I just think that there's some inherent, like – thought process there i don't think it, he's gonna he's i don't think there's anything to do with that i'll tell you exactly what it has to do with you look back one year ago with dylan malloy playing down the stretch in the fourth quarter against johns hopkins he breaks his foot and he's not and he's not the same brown's not the same and while they played valiantly against maryland they lost and 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 and, and maybe i'm biased as a brown alum but I firmly believe that Brown wins the national championship last year if Dylan Malloy doesn't get hurt. And I think that Maryland's looking at that scenario and saying, you know what? Matt Rambo is Dylan Malloy in 2017. Let's get him out of the game. You know, why Why do we need him in the game at this point? I mean, people want to, like, go ahead and read a lot into the end of the game. I mean, the whole team saw Rambo getting out of the game. The, the fans are standing on their feet. And the kids quit. They quit playing. They're like, hey, it's over. Well, credit, credit, credit Mike Presser. Credit yeah. Brian. They continued to play hard. I think that when it got reasonably close, Tills puts his guys back in. And to the credit of Brian, they scored two more goals after their guys went back in. But they didn't score six goals and lose the game. You know, it, it, Maryland won the game. And, and Maryland made sure they won the game. And so I don't have a problem with the way that that ended at all. I think that's a positive Bryant, not a negative John Tillman, certainly not a negative Maryland. They got out of the game with the win, and they move on. Uh, give me the one thing that stood out for you in the OSU-Loyola game, and I think we already talked about it. We discussed it. You know, for me, 
I, I felt like Jake Withers was going to win the draws. And my question was, you know, does Loyola get consistent goaltending? And I think they did. I think that Loyola played a great game. But to me, the thing that sticks out is just the job that Ben Randall did on Pat Spencer. I mean, that that shocks me. And I think that one year ago, if we had looked at this game and said, all right, in one year, Loyola's going to be playing Ohio State in the first round of the NCAA tournament, and they're going to put a defender on Pat Spencer, and they're not going to slide. I think we would have said, well, that's going to be the end of Ohio State. Loyola advances to the quarters in 2017. And clearly, that was not the case. So that's the one thing that stuck out, is that Ohio State shows that not only do they have the second best faceoff guy in the country in Jake Withers, the best goalie in the country, in my opinion, in Tom Carey, the scariest and hardest offense to prepare for in Ohio State, yeah. right? I think they can add to that the best shutdown defenseman in D1 lacrosse this year in Ben Randall, and that's what stuck out for me. Penn State, were they the last pretender in the mix? And I know you never had them up as high as – I think the highest you ever had them was what? You might have actually had them pretty high because they beat – I had them when they were 10-0 and beat Ohio State because I had picked Ohio State. But I said when we went over this, the tournament field, last week, I said that – Army and Rutgers should be in ahead of Penn State. Right? That's what I said, with a heavy emphasis on Army. And Penn State all year, I had said, played a super soft schedule. And I also said the same thing about Albany, and you know they knocked it out of the park. This doesn't surprise me at all. Listen, there's a reason, Ryan. We both picked Towson in this game last week. That's right. We both did. We both did. And... Penn State comes in with a great face-off guy and Woodall's a stud for Towson. This game was played at Towson's pace from the first minute all the way through. You just you just knew it. And Penn State, need, they need to toughen up their out-of-conference schedule. They really do. They play the Big Ten, which, in my opinion, was the best conference in college across this spring. But their out-of-conference schedule was not strong enough. And in the end, well, the Cornell, the Cornell game, I think they keep that game on there knowing that it will get better. Um, but like they've got Hobart, they've got Robert Morris. They've got a few games. I think that they could swap out for sure. Yeah, they, they listen. It's not their fault that Penn didn't have the year that they were supposed to have. I mean, they got Penn after Penn beat Virginia. So when they played Penn, that was a great game for them. Right. I still think and it is beat, in the future. Yeah, I think it is, too. I mean, I, I think that's a game they have to play. But I'm just concerned about Penn State's out-of-conference schedule. I don't think it was very strong. I think in the end, they ended up only beating, uh, you know, two ranked teams going into the tournament, which were Ohio State and Rutgers. I just, I don't know. I, I just, I wasn't a buyer of Penn State. And I think that we saw their youth. I mean, this is, the college across season is a long season. It's it's a four-month It is, it's a grind. And when you have that many freshmen or young guys playing prominent roles, which they had, I think that they wear out over the course of the year, and I think that I think that you saw that in Penn State. But they're going to be back in 2017, and they are going to be uh, bigger and better than 2018. I'm sorry, bigger and better than ever in 2018. I don't disagree with you. Last one here, and I think it's both. The question I have for you, and I'm going to you know fix it here: Has Hopkins lost its touch, or is Duke that good, or is it both? <laughs> You know, it, it seems like in the last three years, this game sort of shows 
epitomizes where these programs have been. It seems like Hopkins just hasn't hasn't gotten better over the course of the year, the last few years. You know, after three games into 2017, we both felt that Hopkins was arguably the best team in the country. You know, certainly a top four, top five team. I definitely felt that way. And throughout the season, they made me feel like I was playing golf. That, <laughs> you know, right when I hit a good shot and I was like, all right, this team's great. They just came off a big win. Then they let you down and shank it into the water. And you dig it out of the water and say, they suck. And they put it on the green and tap it in for birdie. And, and you could never quite figure out who they were. It was great performance, terrible performance, great performance, terrible performance. And then down the stretch, it just seemed like it snowballed with terrible, form, bad, terrible bad, performance, bad, terrible bad, performance. Bad, bad. And it, it, it makes me concerned about that piece more so than anything else. You know, um, listen, the, nobody questions that their staff is phenomenal. I just am... am worried about when they sit down and they reflect about what do we need to improve what do they look at you know do they look and say you know what we're we're missing too much on these early recruits that we're going on and they 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 recruit early so does a lot so does seven or eight other teams recruit really really early but it just seems like hopkins recruits aren't panning out what happened to shaq stanwick wasn't he on the cover of inside the cross Three he was years incredible ago. in high school, though. He Maybe, was incredible. But he doesn't look like he's any better as a senior at Hopkins than he did when he was a sophomore at BL. Does he? You're you're hundred percent right. Does he? He doesn't look like somebody you have to slide to ever. He doesn't you're, you're launch not hard. Wrong. You're not it, wrong. It, it, they, they lose Ryan. It just it, it doesn't. No one. What happened? What happened to Joel Tinney? What happened to Joel Tinney? They just don't. It doesn't seem like they have one person that scares you as a Dodger. Not one person. Kyle Marr had a great run in the quarter of the season, season or something a like that. Great right? run in the middle of the season. You know, but in terms of being able to give a Hopkins player the ball with 11 seconds left in a tie game and say, go get us a goal, if they're not doing the hidden ball trick, do they score? How how about this, At? When's the last big time attackman to ever come out of Hopkins? Ryan Brown, shooter. Where did he end up? Uh, he ended up as all time leading scorer. He was a stud. But you, but you're right. As a shooter, who was the last you know jaw dropping dodge? Who was the last steel Stanwick? Who was the last steel Stanwick for Johns Hopkins? Wasn't his brother. You know, or his brothers, plural. Yeah, I mean, Wells, uh, Shaq, Stephen Boyle, Stephen Boyle. Maybe, but he wasn't first team All American. He was good, not. I mean, he was very good, but but not not jaw dropping. I mean, he's no Jordan Wolf. No, no Jordan Wolf. No Brian Pacola. You know, you got Ryan Brown, who was closer to Terry Reardon than he was Brian Pacola. You know what? Who was the last, was the last Hopkins attackman that I could beat him you about a dozen big time? And you had to slide a pole to stop him. I mean, that's that's what you really you know. You look at Jordan Wolf; he's the perfect example, yeah. right? He would beat a pole for a goal, so you'd have to put a pole on him, even though he beat a pole, and slide a pole. 
he, he was taking two poles out of the four-man zone with off the dodge. To, to me, when was the last Hopkins guy that did that? I can't remember. Oh, you can name some midfielders that did. You can name some midfielders that did. Yeah. I mean, uh, Hopkins is known for Rabel their midfielders. And Kyle Harrison and, you know, you, you've, you've got, you know, listen, there's a lot of great players, but they don't have Matt Panetta. They don't have Brian Cola. They don't have, you know, Brian Woods. There hasn't been a guy like that. So what I question is, when you're going out and you're recruiting early, why not recruit the most laterally quick, slick, explosive athlete so that if you miss on him, you still has that you still have that kind of athlete in your program. They don't even really have any super quick, slick, fast midfielders that are uncoverable. How the hell does that happen? I don't get it. Look at Sergio Salcido. There you go. Right? I mean, Great example. He's, he's the perfect example of somebody that's panned out in a huge way for Syracuse. But he's also he's also the .00001% that pan out from a walk-on to, you know, his story is incredible, and that does happen, but... But you my know, point being is that, that if, you've got, if you've got 12 or 14 slots in admissions for each recruiting class, and I don't know the ins and outs of Hopkins. I don't know how they do it. You know, but my point is, if you're going to go early on these guys, make your misses on super quick slick guys, not slow plotters. I, I, it just kind of shocks me. I mean, Wilkins Dismuke, come on, man. Like shooters, shooters, shooters. It's easy for me to say that, and I, I, but it's right. We're always Monday morning. Yeah, I mean, look look at Jimmy Bitter. Look at Joey Sankey. You know, those are guys. Marcus Holman. Marcus Marcus Holman. Holman. Look look at those are the type. Name at name. Give me one guy that didn't make the tournament from a let's just say shitty team that could have made a difference for Hopkins this year. Um. One guy from a team that's not in the tournament that had no business being in the tournament that could have made a difference for this team this year. Maybe a team, maybe somebody from the Patriot League, maybe somebody from the Ivy League. I, I think that, maybe yeah, uh, SoCon. So, how about this? We're gonna take a break yeah. right now. We're gonna come back. We're gonna get our players of the week, coaches of the week. So we're gonna pick them, and it's gonna be really quick. Mikey Sauer. He's gonna think about. <laughs> yeah, no shit. Everyone wanted him. That wasn't that wasn't he was a young recruit, but everyone wanted him. Uh, but think about a guy that could have made an impact on a Hopkins team that Hopkins easily could have gotten. You know what I'm saying? Right. Easily could have gotten. We're gonna be right back. Maximize your comfort. Beekman Golf Course is one of New York State's most spectacular full-service public golf facilities. Located in Dutchess County and only an hour north of New York City, the 27 holes wind their way along the Taconic, through the valley, and over the highlands with spectacular views that have made the course famous for over 50 years. With three nine-hole courses to start on, players enjoy fast play and easy access to tee times, even on weekends. Book your next round at BeekmanGolf.com. Let's play today. That's BeekmanGolf.com. At Sisu, we take a very scientific approach to making sure our technologically advanced, doctor-developed, scientifically-backed, industry-changing mouthguards are the most protective, lightest, talkable, breathable, comfortable, drinkable, remoldable mouthguards on the planet to guarantee you're protected. Mm. 
no matter what comes your way. The Sisu Next Gen. Sisu. Talk. Breathe. Drink. Beekman Golf Course is one of New York State's most spectacular full-service public golf facilities. Located in Dutchess County and only an hour north of New York City, the 27 holes wind their way along the Taconic, through the valley, and over the highlands with spectacular views that have made the course famous for over 50 years. With three nine-hole courses to start on, players enjoy fast play and easy access to tee times, even on weekends. Book your next round at BeekmanGolf.com. Let's play today. That's BeekmanGolf.com. At Sisu, we take a very scientific approach to making sure our technologically advanced, doctor-developed, scientifically-backed, industry-changing mouthguards are the most protective, lightest, talkable, breathable, comfortable, drinkable, remoldable mouthguards on the planet to guarantee you're protected. <clears throat> no matter what comes your way, the Sisu Next Gen. Sisu. Talk. Breathe. Drink. This call is being recorded. All right, we're back. We are back. And we're going to talk about Hopkins and the fact that they haven't had a big-time attack been since and we were trying to figure it out even if you go to like zach palmer shooter again yeah. ryan brown shooter uh they got a bunch stud, of shooters how about stud um, initiators that that will dodge a pole and score unless you slide to him dodge a pole and score unless you slide to him i got the guy all right at i got i mean these are guys now that hopkins could have gotten in the recruiting process potentially Who's your guy, AT? Will Sands from Bucknell. Oh, great! Wow. Put Will Sands <laughs> on Hopkins' attack, and that team completely changes. Completely. He's a dodge completely. and score against the best poles in the country, but yet love is a playmaker. He's the guy. I love that pick. How about this one too, AT? Yep. Ryan Drenner ah, from Towson. Such a, it makes them immediate differently. Immediately different. Different. And you think about these guys, and these are all late kind of picks. And and not saying that Will Sands, by the way, was a well recruited uh, athlete. I mean, oh. he he wasn't somebody that was off the radar. Totally. And Ryan Drenner uh, is another one that wasn't off the radar. He's a, he was. He was, he was recruited, right. um, but later than everyone else. And so you think about, like, even the transfer wire. You wonder, like, how do you manage the transfer wire and get some of these guys? I mean, look, Pat Young from UMBC ends up on Maryland's first midline last year, and you wonder how. Right. Um, you know, there are definitely guys that would have made a difference. Do you have any other guys, or is that? Um, well, he's the guy that sticks out the most for me. There's another guy. I mean, like, look at Simon Mathias. I mean, at UPenn. I mean, that kid is he is a stud. Slide right away, kind of guy. If you put him, and so there's just like fascinating different dynamics that you can have. Um, you know that Hopkins has these options, I guess, in the recruiting process. And not to say that they weren't in the running. Who knows? They could have offered full scholarship to those guys, and they could have chose where they want to go. You know. But you got to figure Hopkins holds a lot of weight in this process, um, and it's just phenomenal to look back and see how. 
few big time steel stand with Jordan Wolfs uh, that they've had on their team over the last you know 10, 15 years. Right. Um, so let's go right into it. Player of the week, coach of the week, AT. Who is your player of the week? Uh, player of the week for me was a no-brainer. Blew me away with the way that he played this past weekend. And I go uh, to the 7:30 game on Saturday night, and I thought he would get beat, and I was outspoken against him getting beat by Stephen Bones Kelly, but he stuck it to me and everybody else. And that's TD Ireland, 23. Winning 23 of 30 at the X against Stephen Bones Kelly and an unbelievable assist to Connor Fields that we referenced before. My player of the week, TD Ireland, face-off guy from Albany. I love it. You didn't do a runner-up, but I'm going to go ahead and pick up the slack for you, AT, and I have a runner-up. My runner-up here is a guy who ruined my bracket. I missed on one pick, and that was Q's over Yale. And the big reason, I believe, was Evan Malloy with 15 saves. He was my runner-up. Thought he had a yeah. great game. Uh, I love his passion in the net. And, uh, you know, he's actually an outspoken guy on Twitter, which is kind of nice to have a guy that, you know. Uh, and I know the whole Syracuse faithful is very uh, outspoken because every time they win by one, when everyone thinks they're going to lose yeah. by one, they get out there and be like, yeah, it's just run of the mills. Q's for the week. Uh, but my player of the week was Justin Gutterding. Ten points. I think he had eight points in the first quarter. He might actually have had. Yeah, that was ridiculous. But bottom line is, he just he just put on a clinic um, and single handedly pounded Johns Hopkins. Yeah. And, did, and, and did it without any turnovers. You know, like he he got it within the flow of the play and didn't really force it. It wasn't like all right, you know, he scored ten points and had six turnovers. Um, you know, he really got it within the. Flow flow of the play so it really was impressive to watch i i've i've never really spoke at all about gutterding i've kind of just passed it off as kind of like you know a trio of attackmen that do well with manown and jack bruckner oh. but gutterding has easily easily separated himself from that pack and i do think he should have been in the Tawarton finalist uh conversation yeah. uh and i i miss that i you know I, I not that i didn't think that he was ever a great player uh but i just didn't think he was on the same level and boy was i, I agree with him. you so Justin I, I felt the same thing about him but he i've changed my opinion on him based on this season's success i i agree with that Justin Gutterding, my player of the week. AT, who is your coach of the week? Uh, my runner-up is Sean Nadlin at Towson, knocking off Penn State 12-8, controlling the game seemingly from start to finish. They're going to be a scary team for SU this weekend. Uh, but my coach of the week, I go back to the same game, and that's uh, the pride of Yorktown, New York, Scotty Marr. What an unbelievable job he did in an electric atmosphere up at Albany getting out to a 14 to three first half lead I believe now they didn't play <laughs> uh, as well down the stretch of the game but the game was over uh, at that point although I guess it wasn't with 10 minutes left Carolina got to two goals but they held on uh, so my coach of the week goes to Scott Moore in a 15 to 12 win over UNC at home what a win I like that pick. My runner-up would have been the defensive coordinator for Ohio State, or my pick would have been a defensive coordinator for Ohio State. However, that's uh, Pat, uh, excuse me, Pat Myers, Nick Myers, uh, and so I'm not giving it to a head coach. I'm going to give it to an, uh, an, a coordinator, and for me, Merrick Thompson, going to the same game that you just spoke about. Merrick Thompson, what a performance their offense put up, and consistently, uh, you know, they had the, you know, Obviously, the big run by uh, Carolina in the end there. However, uh, they controlled the game at the end of the game to put some goals in the net. 
uh, but also keep that three-goal cushion the whole time. That was well done. I, I, I liked the end-of-game coaching that Albany had to really seal the deal there, so that was great. AT, as always, we have at La Lax Vegas Lines. Um, you can check them out at Lax Vegas Lines yeah. on Twitter. Uh, they might be on Instagram as well. I'm not really sure. However, they provide us with the lines each and every week uh, as the first and exclusive lines for the week. And we have four games in front of us. Uh, the first one up is Maryland, Albany. Maryland is a favorite in this one, favored by one goal. The over-under here is 26. 26, AT. What do you got here? Wow. This is going to be an interesting game. Uh... You know what? One goal. I just think Maryland has too much. Uh, I'm going to take Maryland, and I am going to take 26. Wow, that's just right on it, man. That's a scary number. I'm going to take Maryland, and I'm going to take the under. Damn it. <laughs> Uh, I just don't think – I think 26 is a little too high. I'm definitely taking Maryland in this one. I've got Maryland money line. I've got Maryland on the points, and I'm going to take the under. I've got like a 12, 13-12, 13-11 game here, um, just under the 26 mark. But I think that, again, Maryland's got too much. I think that I think that Ireland actually does win a majority of the faceoffs. But the problem he's going to have is that he's going to get tied up longer than he has and i think the tie-up is going to allow wings to get involved and so therefore uh the athleticism of maryland in between the lines is going to make it a little bit more of an impact on the face-off game than it usually does for albany so taking maryland taking the under as well next up osu duke in a pick 21 and a half is the over under here at what do you got wow this is going to be a good game withers versus Rowe at the x i think withers gets the advantage there i think that both teams have good goalies. You referenced the success of Dukes Turry, but I just think Tom Carey's better. I think that uh, while Duke's young defense has grown up over the course of the season, I just think preparing for Ohio State is not something that's easy to do, and they're not going to be able to replicate it. So I like Ohio State to cover in this one, and I think it's going to be a, a sort of a 10-8 game. What did you say the over-under was? 21 and a half. 21 and a half, and it's a pick right? So so I'm taking Ohio State in the under. Uh, I'm going to take Ohio State. Uh, if it's a pick I'm going to stay with my brackets, of course. Um, and 21 and a half, this is interesting. I mean, you've got, I think uh, Ohio State lost, what, 13-12 in the Big Ten Championship so against Maryland. That's 25-goal pace. I do think that, you know, OSU is going to try to control the pace of this game, much like Towson did against Penn State. Um, I do think that the Randall-Gutterding matchup is going to be a lot of fun to yeah. watch. Um, and I believe Randall's a right-hander, so that's a right-on-left matchup right there. That's also uh, a very fun uh, matchup to watch. And it's not something that Gutterding wants as a, a right-hander, as a left-handed uh, attackman, although he probably sees most of them. Um, I'm going to take the over in this one. Okay. Um, I think that uh, 21 and a half is just slightly a little low. I think that this will be a nice scoring game. It won't be 7 to 4, uh, but I have a feeling it's going to be 12 11. Yep. Like that for 23. Next up, Syracuse, uh, Towson. Syracuse favored by one and a half. The line here is 19 and a half. Cuse has not been the team to score a lot of points, and Towson has been a team to 
force teams not to score a lot of points. What do you got here? One and a half. That's a two-goal victory for Q's. You taking that? Yeah, this is an interesting game. I really want to know the uh, the health of Alex Woodall, the face-off guy from Towson. I think if he plays, Towson's going to be able to control the tempo of the game. And I like Towson to be able to cover one and a half and potentially win outright. Um, although I just, I just think that Syracuse in the end will figure out a way to win a close game, but I do think that Towson's going to control the tempo, but Syracuse showed that it can win low scoring games as it did against Hopkins. Um, so I'm going to take Towson to cover one and a half, but I think Syracuse wins outright, but it's played at Towson's pace. So I've got Towson and the under 19 and a half. I don't think, based on the injury there. Uh, but you know what? The backup there did really, really well. That I was shocked about, uh, especially going against a guy of our Siri. However, you can tell that our Siri was grinded um, over his freshman year. There's no doubt he's going to be uh, a top four face-off guy in the country each and every year of his college yep. career. Uh, but this year I felt like he just... You know, he got grinded out, and that's what happens to a lot of freshmen uh, over the course of their first season. Totally understand it, but I've got cues here covering. I think um, I think it's just too much with, uh, you know, what Syracuse has. Uh, I do think it's going to be played at Towson's pace, but not at 19 and a half. It's low. Uh, I got it's a like low a, number. I got like an 11-9, 12-9 game cues over Towson, so I'm taking it Okay. Last on the docket, Denver. Minus one against Notre Dame. So Notre Dame is the higher seed. Denver is favored. This one is in Hempstead, Long Island, I believe, correct? It is. Uh, the over-under here is 20 goals. AT, who do you have in the last Wow, play? this is scary. I, I feel like going with a Barstool Jordy push. <laughs> uh, push. Yeah, but I I just um wow, this is a this is an unbelievable game. Um DU traveling back. Notre Dame. Bill, Bill Tierney's hometown. Yep. Right? Isn't it? Isn't it, isn't it, it is. Right? It is. Um, wow, this is a scary, scary game. Uh, you know what? I, I, I want Notre Dame to win. Um, but I think that, I think that, uh, wow, this is scary. Notre Dame is favorite, underdog by one. One I'm going to take Notre Dame. And the reason I'm going to take that is because, um, look, if they lose by one, that's a push. And I think that that's probably what's going to happen. Uh, I don't think that DU is going to be able to separate themselves against Notre Dame and the way that they prepare for this game. I think Notre Dame is going to cause Trevor Baptiste more discomfort at the midline than other teams typically do. Um and I and and I don't think that DU is going to necessarily going to be able to to defend Notre Dame that well. But I do think that Baptiste will win the majority of the faceoffs. But I don't think he goes in there and wins seventy four percent. I think he wins, you know, fifty five percent when it's all said and done. And, and I think that while he may win the statistical battle, I think that Notre Dame also does a phenomenal job of actually getting the ball back before teams that win faceoffs can generate shots. And to me, that really should be the way that you define a face-off win is you can win the ball, but if you don't get a shot from that win, is that really a win? I don't, I don't think so. 
So, and I think Notre Dame does that as well as anybody. So I'm going to take Notre Dame, and I'm going to take uh, – what you say the number was? 20, over on 20. Nine. I'm going to take Notre Dame in, a, in, a, in like a 9-8 game. I got Notre Dame and I got the under. So I got four unders this weekend. Uh, I'm taking a Denver, and I'm taking the over. Excellent. The separation will happen, and I think that it will be a, like a, an 11-9, which is right around 20. So I got – I got uh, 12-10. 12-10 win for Denver uh, and a great game and a great, great game. Backdoor cover potentially, too, at the end of the game. Uh, that is it. What's the score? Do you have the scores for the week, or are we going to tell it? We'll tell them. We didn't go against the spread last week. All I know is you went 7 for 8, and you were right on Albany where I was wrong, and you were wrong on Yale where I was right. So we each – are seven for eight so far, um, but we didn't go against the spreads. This week we are going against the spreads, which is good. So it should be, uh, it should, we, you know, obviously it's going to be more detailed next week. So perfect, perfect. As always, you could tune in to us next Wednesday, 9 a.m. Check us out in the meantime on Twitter at In Your Face Lacks. You can also check us out on Instagram. Uh, thank you to our sponsors, Beekman Country Club, uh, Sisu Mouthguards. Uh, and Lax All-Stars for the production. Uh, again, enjoy the weekend of lacrosse. This is going to be a great one. We do have an announcement coming pretty soon. We're setting up a Final Four uh, situation for us, Andy and I, uh, to do a live show during the uh, Final Four. So uh, tune into that. But in the meantime, again, enjoy, uh, enjoy the hopeful nice weather and uh, the quarterfinals of lacrosse. Uh, tune in next week. Thank you very much. Talk, breathe, drink. Beekman Golf Course is one of New York State's most spectacular full-service public golf facilities. Located in Dutchess County and only an hour north of New York City, the 27 holes wind their way along the Taconic, through the valley, and over the highlands with spectacular views that have made the course famous for over 50 years. With three nine-hole courses to start on, players enjoy fast play and easy access to tee times, even on weekends. Book your next round at BeekmanGolf.com. Let's play today. That's BeekmanGolf.com. At Sisu, we take a very scientific approach to making sure our technologically advanced, doctor-developed, scientifically-backed, industry-changing mouthguards are the most protective, lightest, talkable, breathable, comfortable, drinkable, remoldable mouthguards on the planet to guarantee you're protected. No matter what comes your way, the Sisu Next Gen. Sisu. Talk. Breathe. Drink. This call is being recorded. Beekman Golf Course is one of New York State's most spectacular full-service public golf facilities. Located in Dutch.